The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This week, we're going to revisit the area of health and the impact of technology. Regular listeners might remember I generally start by offering to moderate conferences and speak at them, and people have invited me to do so. It's been fun. At the moment, of course, even as we emerge from lockdown, and that could, of course, change by the time we go out, nobody's booking in-person events. I do, however, run online events such as webinars and roundtable discussions, and I've even presented podcasts for other people. It'll cost you, mind you. So do drop my assistant, Nikki, Nikki with an I, at clapperton.co.uk, a note for details if you're interested. But never mind about the self-publicity, let's get to my guest for the day, who qualified from King's College London in 1999 and trained in emergency medicine before starting his career in general practice 16 years ago. He joined the Hurdy Clinic in 2006 and still practices across the Hurdy Group in both general practice and urgent care settings. His current focus is to bring NHS care into the digital age, offering patients the ability to consult with their own NHS GP online and be triaged digitally in urgent and emergency care settings. His name is Dr. Murray Ellender, co-founder of eConsult. Murray, welcome. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. You're more than welcome. Now, something that always interests me is when people come from one discipline, in your case, obviously medicine, and then cross into something else like business. There's a lot of skills to acquire. I, mean, I suppose most general practitioners are actually independent, subcontracted by the NHS. But I'm just wondering, on a skills level, in terms of setting up a business or you know being a GP, what did you have to learn? It's a really good point. And um, it's not something you do learn at medical school. You learn how to do the clinical stuff and how to be a doctor. but they don't really cover the how to run a business bit, but you're right. It's something that you do learn as a GP. So GPs are all uh, effectively small businesses. And so and you, you kind of learn from, you join a partnership and you learn from your peers. So effectively, you know, you've got to run a building, you've got to be an employer. Um, so you, I, I learned those skills really when I became a GP, which was about 15 years ago now. And we grew a kind of GP business from one practice up to about 15 practices. So actually I learned a lot also about kind of growing a business during that period. And I have to say, a lot of the skills, of course, transferable. Being a doctor is, is very much a people business and kind of understanding people and building relationships with people. And uh, as you know, running a business is a lot about people and the people you employ. So there's a lot of transferable skills, I'd say. I suppose as a doctor as well, you've got to do that looking past the presenting problem. You know, somebody turns up to you and says they're getting headaches. They could be actually telling you uh, in some cases that they're being abused or that they're getting uh, anxiety attacks or something like that. But they're presenting to you with headaches. I mean, is any of that stuff, you know, the, the reading of the surface presenting symptoms, does any of that transfer to the business world, do you think? I'd say it does. I mean, I think the, that's one of the key skills you learn as a GP. I think you, as a GP, we classically have about 10 minutes per patient. So you very quickly have to kind of get under the skin of that patient and sat in front of you uh, and understand what's wrong and kind of, you know, be able to, to read the signs in what they're saying or what they're telling you. And those skills are definitely all transferable. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very useful as well in terms of building relationships, building a rapport. When you're doing a morning surgery with maybe 20 patients and you've got to build a rapport very quickly with each one of those patients, 
that's a skill that very neatly transfers into the business world. Perhaps not so easily if you're not actually physically face to face with somebody. I mean, obviously, let's take a step back and say that everybody is doing everything by Zoom right now or you know, <laughs> conferencing systems are available, of course. I'm wondering why medicine's been so far behind, particularly uh, in the UK where we're based. Yeah, it's a good point. I think that's the question we asked ourselves a few years ago. I think if you look at other industries like banking, travel, shopping, you know, we've been doing those online for many years. So why is health being so slow to adopt this? And I think a lot of it is actually just health very personal to the individual. So I think it's kind of like maybe something harder to broach remotely. But it was one of the drivers for us, really, you know, we, we had patients, but we'd been seeing all these patients in the same way we had been for the last 50 years. This drove us to try something new, which then led us to founding this business. So we knew that digital held some key to um, helping make the NHS more sustainable and wanted to try something different and knew that actually the model of general practice where you bring every single patient into a building to be seen face to face, you know, hadn't really changed for 50, 60 years. So we looked at what technology could do to help with that, uh, which was really how we founded the business six, seven years ago. On the other hand, there's some things you can't do. I mean, my doctor's favourite trick is if you dare walk within 30 yards of the surgery and you're over 40, <laughs> uh, they pop you on the scales. You don't get the choice. You, you, you are on those scales. It doesn't matter if you came in with an ingrowing toenail, you're on the blasted scales. Uh, so I'm, that's the sort of thing you can't do, I assume, uh, with, um, well, that's an obvious example. Yeah. But are there, are there those things that you can miss if you're, uh, if you're not face-to-face? It's an interesting point, but I think what, perhaps patients don't realize or a lot of doctors don't realize is you if, if you look at a normal gp surgery in the you know a, a kind of normal morning of a gp actually you don't lay your hands on every single patient so there's most of medicine actually is gleaned you know the diagnosis is gleaned from speaking to the patient so it's that kind of taking of a history the story and understanding that what's wrong with the patient and actually usually when you examine them that's really just to confirm what you've already found out now, you're right, you know, you can't do everything remotely. So there's always going to be patients we're going to have to bring in to be seen. But what we're doing is we're saying, look, actually, those patients that can be managed remotely, let's manage them remotely. And actually, let's free up GPs time so they can spend more time face to face with those patients they really do need to see. So, yes, I guess that opportunistic jump on the weighing scales may not be happening as regularly. But, you know, why not just ask the patient what their weight is? They don't, you know, we'd have to do that within the GP surgery. We could Fair trust enough. the patient to tell us that. That could be just about as reliable as asking them how many units of alcohol they drink per week, of course, and that, uh, you know, nobody tells you about that. I just don't believe a word of it. But um, <laughs> more seriously, there are precedents, aren't there? I interviewed a doctor in India some years ago. I, mean, I did it remotely. I wasn't in India, but he was doing a lot of diagnoses by video conference because the sheer size of that territory and the structure of their uh, health spend made it essential uh, to be able to get experts in virtually. I'm just wondering if there have been pilot projects in the UK before your uh, your particular business. There have. Certainly, there's a number of kind of pilot sites that have tried video, and certainly the hospital doctors are now doing kind of outpatients by video. Video is an interesting one, because actually, we don't do a great deal of video consulting, because actually what we found is that video doesn't offer a huge amount over the telephone. So when, when we started out, we did that kind of classic Skype consult with your patient. But what we found is it doesn't really save any time. You still need that 10 minutes for a doctor and 10 minutes for a patient at the same time. And the other thing, the challenge that we found when testing video is that 
the infrastructure isn't very good in most GP surgeries. Um, so actually the broadband's not very good. And as soon as you've got a couple of doctors on a video call, it all grinds to a halt. So that's, we then came up with this different idea, which actually let's gather the story from the patient. So gather that history, do that via your practice website, get the patient to answer a series of questions, and then put that information in front of the GP and get the GP to make a decision. And we did this rather with our own patients. And then we did a pilot in Tower Hamlets, a kind of six month pilot, which was looked at externally and showed it added a great deal of value. And that's kind of how the thing kicked off. The NHS is very good at piloting things. It's then changing those pilots into kind of scalable solutions. That's always the thing that the NHS has struggled with historically. That makes a lot of sense. I'm interested in your point of view about the um, the infrastructure issue. Mm. The other thing I suppose you must be facing if you did try to do things by video is uh, the infrastructure at the other end, mm -hmm. the patient's own um, uh, infrastructure. For example, if I were to say I've got a rash here and hold it up to a camera, A, I've got to be holding it in the right place, B, you've got to have a good enough picture being transmitted and also being displayed on your screen. It's a, there's a lot of variables in there, I suppose, is what I'm saying. There are. And if you look at the volume of kind of general practice delivered today, even post COVID and remotely, actually still only a very small percentage is done by video. There's a lot of remote consultations happening, but they're happening through systems like ours, where actually you gather that history from the patient up front. And with that history, you can gather a photo. So you don't have to have a live video feed, which is often not great resolution, but the, you could get a photo from the patient and attach that. It's effectively like a structured email. So it doesn't require a huge bandwidth. Technically for the patient, it's relatively easy to do. We kind of, we do lots of patient research to make sure it's as easy and frictionless for the patient as possible. But, but nevertheless, it's not for everyone. You are going to get patients who can't do this and that's fine. Actually, I, I'm always of the view that we should be trying to take the people who are kind of online, adept online, take those online. And the people who aren't, let's just, we'll let them come in by kind of traditional routes. But actually, it should be easier for them to come in now because we've freed up GP's time by taking those, those online savvy people online. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. I was going to ask about that because, of course, as I think I mentioned to you, uh, to, to your colleague in the uh, initial briefing, I had a neighbour who needed a bit of help with some form filling online, and I said to him, let's mm. easy, just take a photo of that um, uh, document, attach it to the email. He had no idea mm. how you do did that. Number first of all, he mm. spent an awful lot of money on um, a very expensive kit without knowing how to use it. That's his mm. right. But there mm. are those uh, you know issues where it's not realistic for a GP to go virtual if the patients are not well informed and relatively tech savvy people, as you say. It's very true, and I think I mean the other thing is kind of language that you use on any kind of website. We've got the average reading age in the UK is eight. So when we kind of author all the questions that we put in front of patients, we clearly, we get doctors to write these questions, but they typically write them in kind of doctor speak. So we then put it through a panel who take it down to a kind of plain English and make sure that actually someone with a, a you know, reading age of eight could cope with these questions. And we also then make this, the platform as easy to use as possible. 
So yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. Technically, even attaching a photo from your desktop to an email is actually quite difficult. Whereas actually, if you're on a, if if, if the message for the GP is as simple to a patient as look, either use the NHS app or go to your practice website and take it from there. Once they land on the practice website, it should be a very easy journey for that patient. So even if they're not particularly digitally literate, it should be easy for them to follow. So that when they have to upload a photo, it kind of talks them through it step by step. So we're very mindful of that. You know, actually, you've got to make this journey as easy for the patients as possible. You can't make it overly complex or they just won't engage with it. And of course, there are some people uh, even now who are simply not online and particularly in the older population, I mean, quite elderly, uh, uh-huh. reject the idea of going online. And that is that is their right, inconvenient though it may be to, to you and I. And it's OK, we can say that. They won't be listening. This show's going online. Now, <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah, <point>. so, <laughs> Didn't mean that. Um, so, um, but getting back to the more serious stuff again, I'm, I'm assuming that COVID nineteen has made this sort of thing even more prevalent, uh, partly because of the the pressure on the health service, and also because of uh, people's reluctance to go into actual premises. Can you tell me something about that? Yes, sadly, it's taken a kind of global health crisis in order to really drive the digital healthcare revolution, not just here but around the world. But it certainly has done that in the NHS. And we've seen a a significant uptake in the use of the platform. And that means both the kind of number of practices that use it. So there's about 7,000 practices in the UK. And we were in about 1,500 of them at the start of this crisis. We're now in over 3,000 practices. So getting, getting on for half of them. And there are other platforms in use in other practices. So most GP surgeries now have an online route in for patients that patients can go to the practice website and then consult with their own doctor online. And the other thing that's really driven is is usage of the platform because you're absolutely right, people stopped going into the physical buildings. We had to, GPs had to think about, well, actually, how can I manage these patients remotely? So kind of this time last year, we were seeing maybe 10 or 12,000 online consults coming through our system every month. We're now seeing 800,000 coming through a month. So the volume of people using this as a way to contact their own GP has just gone through the roof, which is good in a way because it it opens both patients' eyes to this new way of consulting with their doctor and it also opens the GP's eyes and the GPs now go, actually, this kind of works. It doesn't work for everything. You know, there's still some patients I'm going to have to see, but there's a good amount of activity in patients that I can manage without bringing them physically into the building and this works fine. I can, you know, I've got their information about, say, their back pain. I've got their medical record. I can issue a prescription. I can send that electronically now to a pharmacy. And I can send the patient a message with some links to some self-help advice, say. So you can kind of, you know, you can conduct a lot of this remotely now. So what have your milestones been? What have you done so far? And can you talk me through the process? Let's say I want uh, uh, to use uh, eConsult or rather my Mm -hmm. GP surgery is using eConsult as a patient or indeed as a doctor. Uh, what, What actually happens? Yeah, but it was really important to us that we were linking patients to their own GP. We didn't want patients to kind of have to register with a particular kind of digital practice in order to have a digital experience. So we're trying to kind of digitize your own registered GP. So that actually wherever you're registered, you should be able to have a digital experience. And the route in for a patient is that you go either to the practice website or you can download the NHS app. So there's an NHS app that allows you to, to book appointments with your GP or order pre-prescriptions, but now also to actually consult with your doctor. 
And the, what you, you go in with maybe a symptom, so you might be feeling depressed or you might have a sore throat or you might think I need some medication. The system will ask you a series of questions about your condition. It's got lots of safety built into it. So actually if the system suspects that this is a bit more urgent, it will route you into a more urgent channel. But generally that information is then deposited at your GP surgery and the patient gets told that they'll get a call back that same day. So the, you as a patient, then you will get a, either you'll get a phone call back or actually more often than not, you'll get a message back from your GP. Cause once they've looked at this information, they can often issue a prescription or some advice and deliver that back to you by email, by SMS, or if they have to, they can ring you or actually sometimes occasionally we might do a video call. You know, if, if there's a cause to do a video call at that point, once we've kind of worked out that that might benefit this particular patient, we'll initiate one of those. And probably in about 10, 20% of cases that these online consults come in, I'll need to examine you. So say you had you know, a child with abdominal pain, invariably I'm gonna to need to see that child. So I've, I've got the history bit, but actually I'm gonna to have to arrange to see you. But I can then prioritize you. I can say, well, actually I need to see you this morning, or actually I can book you in uh, on Thursday with a nurse, say. So you can start to prioritize these cases as well. So that's the, that's the kind of the journey for the patient. They go online to the practice website or, or use the NHS app to access the care. Okay, now one concern I would have, uh, being a bit of a cynic, but having done a little bit, a long time ago, but a little bit of work in the, the public sector, is if you save a bit of money, then the managers mm -hmm. will look at that and think, oh good, efficiencies. And rather mm -hmm. than redeploy resources, which they could do to say, I don't know, more nurses or a new kidney machine or, uh, you know, as we have one in the holiday in the family, I should say, better conditions for hospital porters. They they um <laughs> uh, they just think, oh, efficiencies. We can cut. We can spend less. How do you stop this? You know, the e-consult and services like it becoming Trojan horses for cutbacks. It's a good question, and they they definitely shouldn't be. I mean, I, the thing I would say is that um, the technology itself is relatively cheap. So you know, it's not like this doesn't cost a lot of money to deliver the service. But what it does do is it, it makes the the wider NHS more sustainable. And now if you speak to any GP, even going kind of before we went into COVID, most GPs were, were really struggling with workload and it was almost becoming unsustainable. The, the relentless demand from patients, you know, actually, you know, GPs were, you know, there was a lot of press about it last year, lots of GPs leaving the profession because they were burnt out, they weren't coping. And what this does is it's making the job more sustainable. So it's kind of allowing GPs to get some headspace and to be able to kind of cope with the job that they were doing and the, the great job they do. So I think in a world where there's ever increasing demand, this is a way of managing that demand and making the NHS and you know, both doctors and also probably you know, ultimately hospital doctors workload more sustainable. You've been so very I, I, don't, I can't see that happening. We've been very UK centric. We've been talking about the NHS. I'm aware that a number of our uh, listeners are in the US and elsewhere. Is the same thing happening worldwide? It certainly is. So there's, there are definitely moves to do a lot more uh, healthcare management remotely. And I think like the UK, a lot of the talk in the, uh, you know, in the last few years has been around kind of video, but I think people are starting to realize that actually Video doesn't save any time, and we should be doing more of this, this, this kind of this idea of triaging, i.e., gathering the information from the patient up front and then deciding how urgent they are need to be seen. And that is certainly happening in places all across the world. So 
our focus, our own personal focus on the NHS, because I think there's enough to kind of do in the NHS now. But if you look to other countries, there's definitely similar, similar things going on at the moment. The US health system is slightly different because they're in a way you're, um, the way the funding works, you're almost incentivized to see people face to face because you're paid for every patient you see. So I think the, you know, there may be differences in how different health systems apply the technology. Um, but certainly, uh, yeah, there's, there's great examples all around the world of, of, of uh, innovation happening now and kind of driving that digital health revolution that we, we've, always, we've all been waiting for. Final question, that's the one I always ask, is where people can find out more about yourself and your organisation? So the best place is to go to our website, so either just Google eConsult or www.eConsult.net and there's lots of information about what we're doing in general practice and also what we're starting to do now in A&E, digitising that journey too, so that's the best place to go. Dr Maria Lunder of eConsult, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks guys, it's been a pleasure. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Stay safe.